Hey, how we doing? Awesome. That is enthusiastic, especially after a time change. I am impressed. I am impressed. I know when my alarm went off this morning, I, don't, I didn't know where I was. I woke up and I was like, where, is this my bed? This is my house? What's going on? And so it was, waking up in general sometimes is a struggle, let alone, you know, losing an hour of sleep. So um, I think we can all relate to that. But hey, you made it. So that's pretty cool. Um, if we have not yet met, my name is AJ Stevens, and I am, uh, like Toby said, our next-gen pastor here at the Orchard. Um, so basically, what that means is I work with Cindy, and I work with Marty, and I work with um, our other campuses too, and really and truly just try to get them everything that they need to be uh, the influence in your kids' and your students' life weekly, and they do such a great job. So uh, they make my job easy, so I'm grateful to work with people like that who just um, really and truly make my life um, easy because it's so fun to watch them go and impact the lives of our kids and students weekly. So um, this week and, and this, this whole month, really, we've been talking about this idea of change, right? And, and we've been talking about, well, actually, first, let me ask you this. Who, did anybody, was anybody in Lake City with me last week or two weeks ago, rather? Okay, just want to make sure I know which jokes I can use and reuse. It's cool, right? Okay, all right, cool. Um, <laughs> no, so we've been, um, actually, that, that reminds me, Marty, Next Gen, and, and Cindy as well, um, we do this thing called met- church metrics, right, and we keep attendance uh, more so to track numbers and know, like, hey, what's working, what's not working, was there something going on this Sunday that was different from last Sunday, this, this past year, so we compare it yearly and say, okay, what's happening here, um, and so I'd tell in Chip, we do the same thing for our, our main campuses, not just our kids and our student environments, but also, you know, across the board, so we know what was happening on those Sundays, and I was telling Chip two Sundays ago when I was preaching in Lake City, I was like, man, before I went to preach, I was like, Chip, I've been looking at metrics the week after I preach, and I noticed like a steady decline <laughs> the week after I preach. So I told the Lake City campus, I said, hey, look, guys, just come say it to my face. Just, just shoot me straight. If it's not good, I just want to know. I want to hear from you. So um, they were gracious, though, and woo, gravity. Um, but they were gracious, and it, it's, it's always fun, um, and, and it's cool to see you know, us track those things and see how much the orchard has grown in such a short time, um, even before I got here. And so it's just clear and evident that uh, God's doing amazing things. And, and he is working in your lives, and he is working to bring change in your lives. So it's really cool just to see that practically. But change has been our topic for this series, right? We're coming out of catastrophic relationships, which, which had a lot to do with change, but now we're kind of catapulting into this idea of change and can I really change? And um, so last week, we're going to walk through like our big idea, and our big idea last week was God has something for you, and, oh no, just kidding, that's this week. Last week's big idea, I'm sorry, was there's hope for lasting change, right? And so there's this idea that, hey, you, there, is, there is legitimate change, and you have a shot at it, and why is there hope for lasting change? Why do you have a legitimate shot at change? Why is your life got the potential to be different from every other life um, that you look at, right? And, and, and one of the things I think maybe Eddie talked about, but Chip talked about last week was, you know how I know that not all change is lasting change because that diet that you started a couple of months ago is no longer happening in your life, right? And so this idea that there's, there's tangible change, but usually it's for a short season, and that tangible change, if we're not careful, can just become a trend, and it can actually not lead to real lasting change. And so that was kind of our big idea, that there's hope for lasting change. And then our takeaway last week is that change is possible because grace is available, Right? Change is possible because grace is available. And this is the difference, right? This is the difference between the TED Talk you hear that doesn't stick and Jesus working in your life and allowing you to see life transformation. And we talked about last week how, you know, knowledge, which is what the Gnostics have, which is who Paul's addressing in this letter, leads to information, right? But knowledge and belief can lead to life transformation. And I think that's what Jesus is calling us to. Jesus is not calling us just to 
um, information, to know more things, but in fact, Jesus is calling us to have a transformed life that looks different from the rest of the world, that looks different from it did, uh, than it did before we knew Jesus. Um, and I think this is such a cool uh, picture of that, right? That we, we have baptism, and it's that moment where we say, hey, I'm ready to go public with what's happened to me spiritually, and I'm ready to tell people, hey, I want you to hold me accountable. I want you to look at me, and I want you to tell me when I look the same as I did before, because I'm holding myself to a higher standard now, right? Jesus has called me, and Jesus has bought me, and so that's the life I want to live. That's the change I want to see in my life, and this is such a cool display of that because we're saying, hey, not only do I know that that's happened in my life, but I want you to know that that's happened in my life so that you can call me on that, so that you can encourage me on that, so that you can build me up whenever my life looks the same as it did before Jesus, and it doesn't look any different after Jesus. So that was kinda, that's kind of been the theme um, throughout this, this month that we're going to be going into these next uh, five weeks, I guess. Last week would have been the, the sixth week. So that's going to be kind of the theme. And the book we've been looking at is Colossians. And this is cool for me uh, because book studies are awesome. And I, like, I nerd out. And you can ask our small group last uh, Tuesday night. We're going through this. And we have more information that's in the, in the more category of the website. <clears throat> and like, I'm reading it, and I'm, and I'm asking these questions. And one of them looks at me, and they're like, dang, you just you love this stuff, don't you? And I'm like, it's just, I, I just, this is a chance for me to nerd out because it's not necessarily topical um, in and of itself, but we get to look at what Paul's saying. We get to draw those things from the text. And so um, I love this. So if I get really excited in the middle of this, don't hold it against me. Um, so Colossians 1, that's where we're going to kind of be today. Uh, so if you have your Bible, go ahead and go to Colossians 1. I'll give you a chance to flip there. Colossians 1, verses 24 through 29. <clears throat> and as you're flipping there, I'll kind of give you some background on, on the book if you missed last week. The whole reason Paul is writing this book to the church of Colossae is because they are dealing with this idea that they're intelligent and that Jesus was just a good dude and, and we can draw these really smart life lessons from him, but they're not acknowledging him as the Messiah. And so if you went through the more study this past week, um, we don't have enough time, obviously, in these six weeks to cover everything in Colossians. So the more study this past week was just a giant section of Paul before verse 24 covering why Jesus is just more than a smart dude. He's talking about the supremacy of Christ, and he's saying, hey, look, if God was just a smart, if Jesus was just a smart dude, he wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be infinite. He wouldn't be before, before all things. He wouldn't be holding all things together. He wouldn't have been able to create all things. He wouldn't be God himself, right? And so this whole argument is being unfolded, and that's the purpose of the book to uh, the Colossian church, is to kind of combat this idea that, hey, Jesus is just a smart guy. And I think that's fitting with the topic of change, right? Because we can look at Jesus, and there's a lot of people that do look at Jesus, and they say, wow, I can change. Look at, look at Jesus has got some great life lessons to draw on. And he does, granted. But that's not all he has to draw on, right? His life lessons are grounded in something. And so a lot of people can look at Jesus, and a lot of people do look at Jesus, and they say, wow. Kind of like Gandhi, right? Like just a really smart dude, a lot of wisdom there, lived a really good life. And so if I just do what Jesus did, then maybe I can see some change in my life. And I think the problem that we run into in culture is in, in a sinful world in general, is there's always going to be something bearing down on you, and there's always going to be something coming after you, and so that change isn't going to last if we treat Jesus and his teachings like he was just a smart dude, right? If we don't treat him uh, like he is who he was. So that's kind of the background on why Colossians is being written, um, and that kind of leads us to our big idea, right? Our big idea this week is going to be that God has something for you, and he's working in you, right? So this idea that God is not just a, a good dude with good teachings, but that God literally wants to live with you. God wants to indwell you. Jesus wants to have that personal relationship with you. And so, yes, he's got something for you. He's got the knowledge. He's got the, the good teachings for you, but he's also working in you so that you're not just taking this list of things that we should or shouldn't do and trying to practically live them out in your life, but that you have help 
and that you have Jesus to do those things with you so that we can honor God. So that's going to be our big idea, and we're kind of unpack that as we go. So if you have your Bible, um, Colossians 1, 24 through 29, he writes, and he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That is, the church. <clears throat> I have become its servant, according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the, world, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. <clears throat> so there's four things, four things I want you to see in this little short piece of the text. The first thing I want you to see is that Jesus is for you. That's the first thing I want you to see. The second thing that we're going to unpack is that Jesus is, is, is going to you. He's writing to you. He's, he's giving things to you. The third thing I want you to see is that Jesus is in you. The fourth thing that we're going to unpack is that Jesus is not only in you, but he's with you, right? And so <clears throat> we'll go back up to the first thing, and we'll look at the text and see what it has to say about it. So verse 24 he says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That is, the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. So this was cool because we're going through this study, and every Monday we get together, all the pastors that are going to be preaching this, the, the upcoming Sunday, and we sit in a room and we say, Okay, what do we want this, where do we want this to land? <clears throat> How do we want this message to show, how do we want this passage to show, or how does this passage show, rather, that change is possible in our lives? And we're sitting there, and we get like no further than five seconds in, and Jeff looks across the room, and he says, hey, does anybody have any idea what verse 24 means? And I'm like, oh, this will be good, so surely someone's got an answer. And, you know, Eddie's, not really, you know, Chip, not really. <laughs> this is great. This goes off to a great start this week. And, um, I think what they're talking about, and this is what I want you to, I, I, I want to throw this in there because I want you to hear what it's not saying, not necessarily what it does say. And the reason there's question marks and the reason we're not going to really dive into this part of the text is because there's a lot of question marks around it and we're not really sure. But what we do know, it's not saying, and when he says, I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church, what he's not saying, Paul is not saying, is that he is making up for the things that Christ didn't atone for on the cross. Because Christ atoned for everything on the cross, right? Christ died for all our sins. Christ completed everything. And so um, you can speculate. A lot of theologians do. A lot of the people we study do. They speculate about what Paul is saying here. But the one thing he is not saying is that Christ's work on the cross was not complete. It was complete, okay? Um, so before we go any further, I wanted you to know that. But the one thing when it comes to being for you that I want us to see out of verses 24 and 25, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. Paul is saying, hey, I'm rejoicing in my sufferings for you. Why? Verse 25, I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known. So you see for you twice. The first time, Paul's saying, hey, I'm suffering for you. Why is, why is Paul suffering for us? Paul's saying he's suffering for us because God said, hey, I have something I want you to take to people. Right? And so this is a good opportunity for us as Christians in the local church to reflect and say, okay, I'm listening. What did you have for Paul? God, what do you have for me? What is my job here? He's saying, Paul was saying, hey, that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. So what does it mean to make the word of God fully known, right? It's, it's kind of weird because there's so much in the text, 
But if you look down at verse 27, I think the one thing that Paul is alluding to is the hope of glory, right? He says the hope of glory in verse 27, and he's talking about the gospel. He wants to make the gospel fully known to us. And that's so cool because when we look at the text and when we do these Bible studies, when we come to church, I feel like a lot of times we're looking for like the next little spiritual nugget, right? What's God got for me that I haven't heard before? That's what's motivating me to get up. But the one thing Paul's saying here is, hey, it's not a new thing. The reason I'm suffering, the thing that Christ has called me to tell you guys is the gospel, And everything starts with the gospel. The foundation is laid with the gospel. And the gospel says that Jesus loves me. And the gospel says that Jesus died for me because I couldn't do it on my own. And the gospel says that God's holy and I could never go before a holy God. And that's why Jesus had to die for me. That's why Jesus had to take my place. And he gladly did that on the cross. And that's the gospel. And so Paul's saying, hey, first and foremost, that's what I want you to know. I want you to know that the gospel is for you. And so when we look at Jesus, we can say, hey, okay, Jesus is for us. When it comes to change, I know that, hey, Jesus is for me. Jesus has something for me. He doesn't want something from me, but he wants something for me. So it's so easy for us to say, hey, okay, this is Christianity, and, and there's these rules I need to follow, and so let me go ahead and let me start chipping away at the things that Jesus really wants me to do, that God really wants me to do. When I come in and I sit in my pew or when I go home or when I'm with my friends, I need to keep these rules. And so it's so easy for us to say things like, what does God want from me? What, is, what does God want me to do to be a better person? What will make God love me more? What's acceptable to God and what's not? What's the bare minimum that I can do and still be good with God? What's the sin limit that I can get away with and still be good with God? But these are the things that Paul's kind of combating right off the bat. And he's saying, hey, God doesn't want something for you. In fact, there's nothing that you can do to give God what he would need, right? Because God's holy. And there's nothing in us that's holy. And so Paul's saying, hey, there's nothing you're going to be able to do to give God what he needs. In fact, What Jesus wants you to understand, what God wants you to understand, is that he's doing something for you. He doesn't want something from you, but he wants to do something for you. And what he's done for us is he's taken our sins, and he's gone to the cross, and he's been the sacrifice before a holy God, because we couldn't, and we would never be able to. And so it's so cool, because that kind of leads us right into the two of you. Okay, so now I know God is for me, and I know that, God, there's nothing that I could do that's going to please God right yet but that Jesus has to do that first. And so God is for me, and God makes that attainable through Jesus' death on the cross. That's the way I can please God. That's the way that real change can start to occur. So we see the standard, hey, God's for me, but what can I do to please God? So that's kind of the question mark. I know God's for me, but I know that I still have a role in this, so what's that role in this? So Paul keeps going. And then in verse 26, he says this. He says, The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints... God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, right? And so he's saying God wanted to make known. Christ wants to reveal the truth to you, but not to hide it from you. And so this kind of goes back to the for you, right? Because this is, our, this is our mission in this. This is Paul's mission in this, right? Jesus has something for us, but it's Paul's job to bring that. It's our job to take that to people. So when we have those friends and we look at our friends and our friends look at us and they're like, man, I just can't kick this habit. Man, I'm really struggling, and I've been struggling for three years, or I've been struggling for 10 years, or I've been struggling for two, me- two weeks or two months, and I can't kick this habit. I can't change. I'll never be able to change. That's the opportunity for us to look at our friends and say, hey, look, change is possible. And that was Paul's role in this, right? Hey, change is possible. There is life transformation that can be had, but it's not going to happen when you try to do it in your own strength. Like we talked about last week, at best, that's probably going to end up being a trend, right? That's probably going to be something that comes and doesn't last. Um, And aren't we grateful that things don't 
don't stick around. Some trends don't stick around too much. I think, uh, I don't know if Eddie used this one last week, but Chip used uh, bell bottoms. He said, how many of you still have bell bottoms in your closet? And I was like, oof, there's a lot more hands raised than I uh, anticipated, but I think that just shows probably my youth more than anything. Um, because I don't know if I've ever seen a pair of bell bottoms. Jordan, any? No? You have some. Impressive. <laughs> nice. Um, no, but that's, that's the role that we play in this, and, and that's how we can kick the trends, and that's how we can combat the trends, because we're never really going to see life transformation in our lives unless somebody brings it to us, unless Christ comes to us, and we're never going to see life transformation in our struggling friends' lives, in our struggling families' life, when it comes to, uh, whether it be the big habits, right, the, the drug addictions, or whether it be the small things, like, hey, I can't stop doing uh, whatever this little thing is hindering me. We're never going to see them be able to get to the other side of that if we don't tell them how change is truly attainable, right? And so he makes that evident in verse 26. He says, um, I've become, or the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So he's saying, hey, I am revealing this to you guys. I'm, I'm making this known to you guys so that you guys can make this known. And then in verse 27, he keeps going and he says, I wanted to make known among, or God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery. And the mystery is the gospel, right? And he's saying, I wanted to make this thing known to the Gentiles. And aren't we grateful for that? Because I don't think there's too many people in Live Oak, Florida, and there might be some that are Jewish by birth, right? And so we, if, if, if it's not made known to the Gentiles, that we don't get the privilege of the gospel. But Paul's saying, hey, the gospel's for all people. The gospel's for you. The gospel's for me. If you're not familiar with what a Gentile is, basically a Gentile is anyone who's not Jewish, right? And that's important because God chose Israel, Jewish people, to be the first advocate for what he wanted to do to redeem the world. But we don't fit that mold. In fact, we're probably a ton of other things, uh, everything but Jewish. And so um, it's cool to see that, hey, Jesus loved everybody and Jesus loves everybody. And so likewise, the outcasts that we have in our mind, the people that we don't want to recognize, the people that we think, hey, they're too far gone because of the fact that they can't see change, they're too far gone because that thing has a hold on them. Likewise, hey, you weren't on God's radar uh, when he was with the Jewish people, but you are now, right? And, and, and Jesus does love you, and Jesus wants it to be attainable to you. And likewise, you shouldn't kick people off of your radar. Likewise, you should be willing to say, hey, I want to see change in my friend's life. I want to see change in the outcast life. I want to, in fact, I just want to see Jesus work in that life. Sometimes it's refreshing just to see God active, right? And if we don't put ourselves in those situations, we don't get to see God active. And I think one of the biggest encouragements and reminders that can come to Christians is when we get to watch God transform a life. Um, I know that's true. I had a buddy uh, at Liberty University where I went to college, and you know, his freshman year, he came in, and uh, he was like a self-proclaimed rapper, which is, you know, whatever. But he was pretty good. Um, but with that came a lot of, like, uh, bad stuff, and it came a lot of profanity, and it came a lot of, hey, I'm doing things with my girlfriend I shouldn't be doing, just because that was the kind of the, the culture that he was immersing himself in. But on the other side of that, we're at convocation uh, one Wednesday, and convocation is basically uh, where everybody, or all the underclassmen at Liberty gather every Wednesday, and the upperclassmen have the option so they can go if they want, and they gather every Wednesday for a message. And one convocation, uh, one of the speakers came, and, and God just gets a hold of this guy's life, right? And he is he is wrecking him, and he is breaking him down so that he can build him up. And, and on the other side of this, this outcast, right, this guy that had nothing to do with the gospel, this guy that wanted nothing to do with the gospel, has now been able to experience life change, and he's a student pastor, and, and God is just working on him. And that's so encouraging to me and so refreshing to me because it reminds me, hey, you were that. Maybe not quite in that way or maybe not quite to that extent for some of us, but you were separated from God at one point, and someone graciously brought the gospel to you. 
And likewise, someone graciously brought the gospel to Tyler, and it's cool now to see his life transformed because of that. So don't lose uh, the two you. I think the two you is a huge deal. I think the two you is something uh, we really don't want to miss out because that's a lot of our role for other people so that they can experience change in this. And so the third one is Jesus in you. Jesus in you. So we're going to read 27 again, uh, the last part of 27 again, and then verse 28. He says, The glorious wealth of, his, of this mystery, <clears throat> which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Christ in you is the hope that you have, right? In the gospel, it says that you're not just going to have a relationship with Jesus, but in that relationship with Jesus, Jesus is going to be in you. Jesus is going to dwell in you. He's going to indwell you, right? And so he says, um, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so there's this idea that, hey, God doesn't just want to be with me. God doesn't want to just do something for me. God just doesn't want me to do something. But in fact, God wants to live in me. God wants to be the root that takes place so that I can change. A lot of times I, I, have, um, I have students or friends that come to me, and when we talk about change, we talk about habits. And um, this is generally true of my non-Christian friends. And they say, hey, man, why can't I kick this? Why can't I get rid of this? And, I, and, and, and in a roundabout way, or sometimes a very direct way, depending on the relationship, I try to tell them, you can't trim the branches and expect to see a difference in the tree, right? If you really want to fix the dying tree, we have to get at the root of the problem. The root of the problem has to change. We have to fix the base, the background, everything that's going on, because if we just get rid of the ugly branches, the tree doesn't come alive, right? The tree is still dead. It just has less ugly branches. And so sure, even if we fix that thing, that's cool, but there's going to be other things that rear their ugly head. And so in a, in a, in a nice way, I try to tell them, hey, this is what Jesus wants to do for you. Jesus wants to not just uh, do something for you, but he wants to live in you. And when he lives in you, he doesn't just fix the branches that are the problem. He wants to fix the root of the problem. The root of the problem is a sinful heart, right? Uh, the heart's deceitful and wicked. And so I think it's cool because not only does he want to live in us, but he wants to do things for us. Let me see. I'll go back to 20, uh, 28 real quick. The hope of glory, proclaim his warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Okay, so the idea with the gospel here is that Jesus lives in you, so there can be life transformation, but the idea is also that when God looks at me, he doesn't see me anymore. He sees Jesus because Jesus is in me. Jesus was the advocate that I needed, but I couldn't get on my own because God's holy. So when God looks at you, he sees sinfulness, and that's the point Paul's making. He's saying, hey, Gnostics, it's cool that you have all this knowledge, and that's great, but at the end of the day, all that knowledge is not going to help God look at you and see your sin less. God is still going to look at you and he's still going to see sin because we're people and people are sinful. So when God looks at you, what God needs to see for us to have a right relationship with Jesus is Christ in us. And so obviously Christ in us compels us, right? It helps us fix those things. But the bigger theological implication, the bigger spiritual implication there, right, is that when God sees us, he sees Jesus. And when he sees Jesus, he sees perfection. He sees us blameless. And so it's cool because as a, there's days where I struggle and I'm like, AJ, you know you shouldn't have done that. AJ, what are you thinking? Why would you do that? Why would you go there? Why would you say that? What, 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 what would compel you to do that? And I remember, okay, I'm sinful, but Jesus is in me. And so even in those moments where I struggle, God still sees Jesus. And it's cool because um, 
there's going to be moments where we struggle, and there's going to be moments where we're like, what in the world? What were you thinking? Um, but we can look at this passage in Romans 7, right? And we see Paul in Romans 7. And if you ever get free time, I didn't put it up here today just because it's worth unpacking on its own. But Romans 7, Paul is basically having this dialogue with himself. So it's more of a monologue, I guess. I, guess. I don't know. English majors? Anybody? No? Okay. But Paul's basically talking to himself, and he's saying, hey, I know what to do, yet I do the opposite. I know what's right, but I still do what's wrong. And then he gets to the end of this giant you know, conversation with himself where he basically talks about how much he's terrible and how much he's uh, an awful person. And he says, who's going to deliver me from this? Thanks be to Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? And so no matter what, it's encouraging because God sees Jesus. It's encouraging to me that Christ is in me. Um, but the cool part about that is, is God doesn't call us to stay there in sinfulness, right? If you go back a chapter in Romans, Paul talks about how, you know, where there's sin, there's grace, but that doesn't mean we should keep on sinning, in fact, that means that we should appreciate the grace and we should try to live a life that pursues Christ. And I think that's the exact same thing uh, that he's saying here in verse 28. Uh, at the end of verse 28, he's saying, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And so Paul's saying, yeah, the gospel is great. And yeah, the gospel is the thing that puts you in a right relationship with God. And yeah, the gospel is the thing that allows you to stand before God one day. Um, and so it's cool because God sees Jesus. But just like Paul Thanks be to God who's going to deliver me from this. Paul is saying there's a struggle. If there's not a struggle, there's just sin, right? But if there's a struggle, there's a desire to beat sin. And so it's encouraging when we have that conviction and we know that, hey, I shouldn't be content with my sinfulness. It's encouraging to know that Paul was struggling with his sin and not just saying, hey, I'm a sinner and that's okay. Uh, Jesus loves me no matter what I do, whenever I do it, and I don't feel bad about it, right? But the difference is that there's a struggle. And that's the thing. Paul's also saying, hey, Gnostics, you're never going to be presented mature as Christians because you're not Christians, right? You're never going to be presented as mature because there's no sanctification in your life. Sanctification um, comes after we enter a relationship with Jesus. It's this idea that we grow to be more like Jesus. And so he's saying, hey, you're never going to be mature because you never have the foundation. But when we have the foundation, the calling is to be mature, like, we, like Paul says in Romans 6, to appreciate grace, to pursue God because of what he's done for us. And so that's kind of the, that's the in us. That's the beauty behind Jesus in you, is that you A, have an advocate before God, and B, uh, you have the ability to become mature in Christ. You have the ability to uh, have those conversations with your friends, right? You, you feel more encouraged to have those conversations because Christ is working in you. But then the last thing, um, and probably, probably the most <clears throat> impactful thing in our day-to-day -day lives, I would think, um, is Christ with you. And, and the idea here is that Christ not only indwells you, but he empowers you. And so let's read verse 29. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. And if you don't hear anything else uh, throughout this entire series of Colossians and change, I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this verse because <clears throat> he says, I'm striving with his strength his strength, his strength, his strength, his strength that works powerfully in me. So you see the for you because God is for you. You see the to you because God has taken the gospel to you. And now because the gospel has gone to you, you see the in you because Jesus has a relationship with you. But then the beauty behind the in you, the beauty behind the fact that Jesus is in you is that he's with you. And the beauty behind the fact that he's with you is that it's his strength that works powerfully in you. And this is, this is the thing that helps Paul in the, middle, in the midst of that struggle, right? This is the difference between hearing a TED Talk and knowing, okay, this is what I should be doing, or, or that sounds like a good idea, or my friend gave me this good advice, and hey, the gospel says this. 
at the core, at the foundation of my life, the gospel says this. And so every, every decision I make, every thought that I have should be influenced by the gospel, right? And he's saying, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me, it's Jesus' strength that we get the privilege of that's going to compel us, that's going to encourage us, that's going to gift us the opportunity to pursue through the sinfulness in our life, the change that we're trying to see occur. And I remember being a, 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 you know, a young Christian, and it was like, Two weeks here, and I'm doing solid, and then no weeks, and then another two weeks there where I'm not doing solid, and it was just such a back-and-forth struggle where I kept finding sin holding me captive, and I kept finding things that I didn't want to give up to God because I wanted to hold them for myself, and I, so I never got to see that change because I never, wanted to, I never wanted to see that change. I never wanted to let those things go, but the beauty behind it is that because Christ was in me, he kept compelling me. Because Christ was in my friends, he kept compelling them uh, to strive with me to strive for me. He kept compelling me to strive to be more like him and less like culture, less like the world. And that's kind of the whole focus around our big idea today, or our takeaway rather today. And that's this, that Jesus is strength for the struggle. Because uh, we got struggles, right? There's going to be things that we deal with every day, um, whether superficial and small or whether, um, you know, spiritual and massive, whatever they are, you're going to have struggles and you're going to find yourself, um, whether it's thinking thoughts about someone you shouldn't think, or battling a pornography addiction. That spectrum is so wide, but at the end of the day, we all have struggles. And the beauty behind that, and in, in the conquering of those struggles, is that Jesus is the strength for the struggle. And it's, it's kind of absurd to look and say, hey, Jesus is not bigger than this, right? It's kind of absurd to say, hey, I have this struggle, and you can't really tell me if I can change or not, because you don't know how big my struggle is. But that's fine. I don't need to know how big your struggle is. I need to know what Jesus is capable of. And Jesus is capable of working in the midst of your struggle. He is capable of striving in you so that you can conquer that struggle. And so I hope that if you hear nothing else, that the difference um, between change and no change is the fact that Jesus is in you. He's working with you. He wants this for you. And he is striving with his strength in you. It's things that we couldn't do, but that we can have hope in because it's him working in us. So that's really all I have. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and the band's going to come up and lead us in worship. And then we're going to do a recap video. It's going to be awesome. <clears throat> oh, excuse me. And then Cindy's got some awesome news about camp. So I'm going to pray for us, and the band will come up. Jesus, thank you so much uh, for who you are. Thank you so much that um, when we look for new things, you remind us of the old thing and the great thing. And the old thing and the great thing is the gospel. And the gospel tells us that you put us in a right relationship with God and that you are constantly working in us, and you want the best for us as your children. You're a God that gives good gifts, and we're so grateful for that. I pray that you would just allow us to let this message kind of sit with us this week and not just leave it here, but Father, I pray that you would allow us to remind ourselves daily that because you're in us, we can conquer change. We can change. We can have a relationship with you that bears fruit. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name.